I think too often we allow the political conversation to drive our theological understandings. We find the Old Testament prophets preaching the need to look out for the foreigner, the sick, the poor, the disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. Our responsibility then is to proclaim from our pulpits and in our daily interactions with those in our communities that we serve a Christ who is interested in the now and the not yet, the here and the hereafter. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, our special guest is Dr. Willie Hux, the chair of the Department of Christian Ministry at Andrews University. Today, we will be addressing the tensions that some feel exist between preaching the gospel and social justice. The recommended readings for today include Rudy Mayer's book, Working with the Poor. Another is Walter Rauschenbusch's book, Christianity and the Social Crisis in the 21st Century, and Ronald Snyder's book, Good News and Good Works. If you'd like to listen to some of our other podcasts related to faith and theology, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts at Advent Next or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at the handle at AdventNext. My co-host today is Sabina Vieta, an international relations major and MDiv student. You can follow her at Sabina underscore Vieta. As always, I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is AdventNext. How uh, the church relates to society, uh, how the the church has often been a bit detached mm. from the real life concerns uh, that go on. Of course, uh, as a child, the conversations revolved around racism. Mm. Um, they revolved around inequities mm. uh, that existed in society. This was a passion of my dad more so than my mom, and it, it became a passion of mine uh, as a result. Uh, later on, when I became a pastor, I recognized that these same conversations were taking place among my church members. Okay. So it, one just naturally led uh, mm -hmm. to the other. And uh, I think to the second part of your question, uh, in terms of some of the topics that we cover, yeah. I believe uh, was the question, uh, we talk about um, the, the place of the black male in society. Is he an endangered species? Mm -hmm. Uh, we talk about domestic violence because that is a reality yeah. within the church uh, as well as within society uh, as a whole. Uh, we talk about uh, the church and immigration policy. Mm. Um, Very relevant topic right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there, there's so many others that, uh, we, that we deal with. We talk about uh, gentrification. We talk about uh, socioeconomic flight. We talk about the church and environmental issues, the church and public education. Mm -hmm. Because so often in our churches, we want to talk about church schools, mm -hmm. but the reality is most of our children attend public schools. Mm -hmm. And those whom we're attempting to reach also attend mm -hmm. public schools. Right. So how does the church relate? It's a whole, it's, it's a list of topics, and I know I'm overlooking some. No, yeah, no, I think you have a really well-rounded course on looking at the church, interacting with some very prevalent social issues in, in, our, in our country right now. 
One of those topics that you already mentioned is immigration. Mm -hmm. And I, that's a very dear topic to me. I'm here in the U.S. as an immigrant. And I was wondering, you know, um, you have people in the same church who are vastly divided between these two issues, right? I think we, um, we have. And what do you see as the cause of this divide? And what should we do? I think too often we allow the political conversation to drive our theological understandings. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of looking at immigration through biblical eyes, for example, in Old Testament and in New Testament, we find a clear prophetic interest in the foreigner, mm -hmm. uh, often the term that's used in various versions of the Bible. We tend to define foreigner as the one who's coming to intrude on our territory. Mm. You know, whether it is American soil, European soil, whatever the case might be. But as opposed to allowing politics to drive the conversation, whether you stand on the right or on the left, the real question is, from a biblical perspective, How does God see the, and I keep using the word foreigner. Yeah. So I, I think the big challenge yeah. is not allowing the, you know, the, the, the talking heads mm -hmm. to drive the conversation, rather allow scripture to drive the conversation. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really true. I think we tend to see a, a, a very much a political divide within America. Instead of the church being unified around like a common ideology and a common value, uh, the church is very much divided on party lines. And mm. you see that especially, you know, in the current administration, there's been uh, brothers and sisters who fellowship in the same church but are, are deeply divided on some of their core fundamental beliefs. I think an outgrowth of having a conversation about immigration is not so much just understanding how God sees the yeah. immigrant, yeah. but in light of the church and its relationship to society, how do we live to be a blessing to yeah. the immigrant? Yeah. Uh, studies have been conducted that show that and I'll speak from an American perspective, those who migrate to the United States, uh, of those who migrate uh, as a percentage, about half, approximately 50% have, upon arrival, limited English proficiency mm. as opposed to uh, those who are, shall we say, native-born. Um, and, of course, when I say limited English proficiency, I'm talking about those who are five years of age and above. Yeah. Uh, whereas native-born, that percentage is only about 10%. Uh, you're far more likely as an immigrant to have lim limited English proficiency. Well, in a case like that, as opposed to the church just talking about it, what is the church doing about it? Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of churches that would, in that case, say, listen, You're here with us now. We're not going to chastise you. We're not going to condemn you. We're not mm -hmm. going to criticize mm -hmm. you. But we're going to strengthen you while you're here. So there are a lot of language learning courses that take place. Mm -hmm. uh, what a difference it would make if our church, if our churches, you know, instead of putting people in political boxes, mm -hmm. would then say, you know what, you're with us now. Mm -hmm. 
you're a part of our society. Let me, let us help you uh, and, and to, to be in a position where you can get a job, where you can mm-hmm. contribute. Yeah. I think that uh, what you're describing right now is is definitely what you talk about in your class. You talk about the, the biblical foundations. Uh, I don't know if I'm uh, saying this correctly, but like the biblical and theological foundations of Christian social ministry. Mm-hmm. And so you address before you even begin to launch into all of this. Uh, you, you you lay a foundation for everyone. So yeah. what is that foundation? Can you describe it a little bit for us? Really, the very first day of class. We go to, as you just mentioned, the biblical foundations, and I think the key biblical foundation is to go to the creation story. Mm-hmm. We're all familiar, I suppose most, most of us are familiar with the one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, the consecutive days. And every day, you know, in scripture, it talks about God did this, God did that. Uh, to me, the defining moment in the creation account took place on day six when God said, let us make man, humanity, Mm. in our image, Mm. according to our likeness. The Mm. question then arises, when we speak of the image of God, how do we define image? Image, as I understand it, and it's it's open to discussion or debate, is not just spiritual, it's Mm. mental, it's Mm. moral, it's physical, um, it is the sum of the human. Therefore, if we see humanity in a a holistic fashion, then we relate to every man, woman, boy, girl, Mm. in that holistic way. Another thing that we talk about from the beginning of the class is this concept of uh, the apple of God's eye. And I ask the participants in the class to engage in an exercise. When we, once we take a look at the linguistics of everything, and we understand that, long story short, when God looks at us, when he, when he sees us yeah. looking in our eyes, as it were, in our pupils, mm-hmm. what he sees is the same thing that you would see when you look in her eyes, vice oh, versa. Yeah. Mm. you see a smaller version of yourself. Right. Mm. In short, what we try to establish from the beginning is when God looks at us, Mm. he sees a reflection of himself. Mm. We're made in his image. Now, of course, we're broken. Right. We're we're all broken. You know, the, the Bible makes that plain. So we don't reflect his image perfectly, but we do still reflect his image, and he sees something in us that is of value. Mm-hmm. So from that biblical foundation, we go forward in a way that enables us to not think on the right politically mm-hmm. or on the left politically, but from the perspective of the divine view of mm-hmm. you and you and me. And that, and that transcends race, ethnicity, gender. Socioeconomic class. Socioeconomics. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it transcends all of that. Mm. Yeah. Well, from, from what you are sharing here, it sounds like it's quite clear in the Bible that there is a framework for dealing with social issues and approaching matters such as, as you were saying, 
well, um, immigration or climate change or how domestic violence, gentrification. And yet, uh, we perceive that within our church communities, there is often a lot of tension in how to go about it. You know, some people will have a hard time identifying those topics and the uh, uh, and the dealing with those topics as important and part of the church mission, or they will, you know, uh, create a divide in between the gospel mm -hmm. and um, political and social matters. So it appears to me that this is a quite important topic. It's not something to be taken for granted. And yet, despite having this clarity, still within our church communities, we see, you know, some conflict and mm -hmm. tension when, uh, when we approach uh, social issues within the church. And uh, most of the people who may be critic of that, mm -hmm. they will say, oh, this will, you know, take us away mm -hmm. from our mission. This is going to make us uh, less effective, maybe in, in proclaiming the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I was, yeah, exactly. And I'm wondering from you, like knowing, having this theological foundation for that, and yet comprehending the reality of mm -hmm. our churches, not only North America, but, you know, all over the world. How can we, we, we do that with balance? You know, how can we um, maybe bring them together um, and without offending anyone and... Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. I, I think that's an excellent question uh, because in most churches, you're going to have that strain of thought that says, you know, we have to, we have to proclaim the gospel uh, because Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready to meet him. Uh, and then you'll have those in a church who say, well, you know, the Bible also says that if you see your brother who's hungry, you know, you need to feed him. If you see him without clothing, you need to, you know, give him something to wear. I think often we fall into twin traps. Mm -hmm. We see the Bible from an individualistic perspective, mm -hmm. that salvation is an individual thing mm -hmm. and not a corporate mm -hmm. matter. Uh, I think we can also fall into the trap of uh, thinking that you have to preach eternal life without preaching uh, societal relevance. Mm -hmm. okay. The two are not mutually exclusive. And I think it's such a, a great point, and maybe you can elaborate a little more, because the Old Testament was very communal in its orientation of salvation. It was the community, it was the city, it was the nation mm -hmm. that was saved. And then in the New Testament, we do tend to see it as more individualistic. Uh, but, you know, you're shedding light that that's not necessarily the case. This, this may come across as a bit critical mm -hmm. sounding, but mm -hmm. so often our approach to theology is very Western. Mm -hmm. uh, our Western approaches to theology emphasize individualism mm -hmm. when scripturally we do find exactly what you were just saying that there was a corporate identity not corporate in the sense of business the, yeah. the business world but corporate within the sense of what was of what is of interest to you is of interest to me what affects you impacts me mm -hmm. uh, john dunn said you know no man is an 
no man is an island entire of himself. We're, we're all interrelated and interconnected. And that's the scriptural emphasis on everything. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, while we don't deny the need of personal salvation, because as I said earlier, I'm broken, I need salvation, mm -hmm. I need a sin-pardoning Savior, that does not do away with the fact that Jesus ministered to his society. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, we find the Old Testament prophets uh, preaching um, the, the, the need to look out for the foreigner, the sick, the poor, the disenfranchised. Mm. We see that in the Gospel of Matthew. We see that in the writings of James. We see that in the Gospel of Luke. We see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Again, the two are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Uh, our responsibility then is to proclaim from our pulpits and in our daily interactions with those in our communities uh, that we serve a Christ uh, we worship a Christ who is interested in the now and the not yet, the here and the hereafter. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I, I also have the impression sometimes, um, you know, we are in a church community that thankfully we have this beautiful focus in uh in a holistic approach to human beings, right? We care about education, we care about health, and we do have, you know, many of our evangelistic activities gauge with health, for instance. it's I think it's so beautiful that we, we have these tools uh, with us. And, but yet, um, it's sometimes it, it may sound like that, okay, we'll serve now at this moment, until the person comes into the church community. But then once it's done, the topic gets a little less important for the outside community. It may still be important to us because we have, you know, uh, the care about our health, we care about the health message and everything. But then when we look at the, those who are hurting outside, um, you know, except when it is to actually call their attention to the gospel, many will think it's less important. And I'm glad to hear from you, you know, that we we do have a good theological framework to, to teach even our own people of how to, you know, understand these topics at the light of the Bible. Christianity as a whole has understood the criticality of connecting scripture with real life. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, many denominations do that. Adventism has a history of that as well. Uh, often we forget that the early Adventists were um, social pioneers. And I know mm. that word social makes people uncomfortable, uh, but there's some elements of that social pioneering that we find more acceptable you go back to the middle of the 19th century, we were at the forefront of health reform. Yeah. Now, yeah. everyone talks about health and healthy living. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was a countercultural message in the 1860s and the 1870s. But we were at the forefront of that in a very agrarian society such as 
America was in the 1870s, we were at the forefront of formal education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even prior to that, we were at the forefront of uh, the anti-slavery movement. Yeah. You know, many of our early leaders uh, were abolitionists mm. and had abolitionist leanings. Mm. Once again, here's a church that is proclaiming the gospel as, you know, to, to go back to one of your earlier questions, uh, to proclaim the gospel from the quote-unquote scriptural perspective, mm. the salvific, almost individualistic perspective, but this early church also recognized if the gospel is to reach society, we have to reach society mm. where they are. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's such a, you, you put that so beautifully because there's often a fear that we're going to lose the mission uh, mm. by by engaging in social um, activities or, or social justice causes. Mm. But in reality, that is the mission. You know, how do we reach people where they're at uh, yeah. and, and minister in a very practical way to their needs and then help them to, to yeah. get into... Yeah. If, if I may add, an, an, another verse that I find so very informative is in Matthew 9, mm. 36 and 37, where... Actually, right before that, you have Jesus as the minister to people's needs. Mm. He spent that day feeding people, oh. healing people. The list goes on. And Matthew says, and it depends on the version of the Bible that you're looking at, he saw the people harassed and helpless, mm-hmm. uh, like sheep without a shepherd. And I look at that verse and I ask, in terms of the ministry today, because I think a lot of our church members, and I speak from a pastoral perspective, yeah. uh, a lot of our church members are, are rubbing shoulders with the harassed and helpless. Mm. But we, we as ministers, and I don't want this to come across as too negative or, or too uh, sounding like we're too much, too sheltered or anything, but we often don't spend as much time with those in society as our church members do. Mm. So we're not as fully engaged with the harassed nature or the helpless nature because you know, the nature of pastoral ministry tends to keep us isolated mm. uh, from that. But again, following the example of Christ, then... That is yeah. my mission. Yeah. That is my ministry, yeah. not just yeah. the pulpit, Absolutely. but yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when you look in, at, in the society as a whole. When you even look at Jesus himself, like he was a beneficiary of the compassions and the ministry that others bestowed upon him. You know, that he, in his ministry, he was homeless for three years and dependent upon the kindness of others. <laughs> And so even him saying, you know, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, uh, he really identifies himself with those who are helpless, like you're talking about. You know, he, he mm-hmm. sat in that seat, and I think he has a special place for those who see the humanity and minister to that humanity, even when they don't see uh, um, a, a payoff from it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well said. Well said, yeah. And I'm also thinking uh, not only uh, this gets us back to the gospel, but also for those who are fearful that this will, um, you know, 
put us aside from our identity, uh, at least within our church community, the Adventist church, it actually gets us back to our roots, right? Mm. Uh, as you were mentioning, the beginning of this movement was very much you know, related to some um, concerns that were not just looking inwardly, uh, but actually looking outside. And, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's beautiful. To, to me, it, uh, the, the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of um, Christ, Christianity early on in early Adventism spoke to the gospel, love your neighbor yeah. Yeah. as yourself. John, in, in 1 John, um, I say I love God. How can I actually love God whom I've not seen yeah. if I don't love my neighbor yeah. whom I see, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. you know, on, on a daily basis? Uh, the gospel is not just vertical in its reach. It's horizontal. There are challenges that exist in such an approach to living, uh, incarnational living, because yeah. you know, the church itself is comprised of so many different generations. Yeah. And this generation here may say, oh, you're watering down the gospel uh, in an effort to reach those who are there. But once again, this comes back to the, the biblical foundation yeah. uh, that we talked about. If we recognize um, that God has a deep love for everyone, yeah. you know, regardless of all of the qualifiers that we place there, then we understand that we have to reach each group in the way that God wishes to reach them, which, which starts with an understanding. Yeah. 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 What are some of the, the topics you know, that you're tackling right now that you feel that you would like to bring a special emphasis to. I mean, you talk. I mean, you hit a laundry list in your class, which mm -hmm. I'm really excited about. Um, but what are something that's really close to your heart that you feel like we should be taking a special interest in it as the church? If you had asked me that question a few years ago, I probably would have said domestic violence mm -hmm. uh, would be at the top of the list. And while that's still very important, I believe that there is a growing interest in tackling that, for which I am very grateful. Yeah, There's yeah. still a lot of territory to be covered concerning that. But I, if, if you understand the context in which I'm taking that out of the equation, then, then I'm taking it out simply because we do recognize, more so now than we did a few years ago, that this is an issue and we're addressing it. Uh, but if I could narrow that my response down to two yeah. mm. items. Uh, I think one issue that we're really not addressing is the church and its relationship to the environment. Mm -hmm. and, and I cite that for this reason. There are a lot of businesses that would be willing to bring in jobs mm -hmm. to the community uh, with, within the context of saying, oh, this will increase revenues, this will increase taxes, you'll have a job, you'll have a job. But at the end, these jobs come into poorer communities, yeah. uh, communities that, in, that are already disadvantaged mm -hmm. health-wise and otherwise. So what sounds good is not good long-term. Mm. 
But I think the one that drives me the most, and this is, I'm tossing out several things in response to your question, is the church and its relationship with the LGBTQ plus Mm -hmm. uh, community. As the church, we often view the LGBTQ community through strictly sexual eyes. Mm-hmm. And we then take sexuality and then we focus on the negative. If we were to place a proper emphasis as a church on the LGBTQ plus community, then there's so many ways that we could reach that community in the same way that we can reach all of these other communities that we've talked about, yeah. black males, mm-hmm. um, immigrants, so forth. Studies have been shown that the LGBTQ plus community suffers from higher rates of depression, mm-hmm. higher rates of suicide, and, and there are other things. Now, I put that within this context. If I, as pastor, if we, as the church of God, were to create an environment of love, acceptance, Uh, inclusiveness, then we now open a door where men and women can see Christ in a whole new way. Mm. I was wondering, uh, what could we do to make the, the education of, let's say, clergy education to begin with, and then we can expand that afterwards just to the education of church members and everyone else, but to make this an education that will see the relevance of social and political issues and in a balanced way, like, it, you know, to bring it to, just as you are doing, because you, you, you are one of the wonderful classes that, that offer maybe this as a window, as a, as a place to discussion, but could we do a little more maybe can we make it you know more relevant in our midst and I, I, definitely there, there is so much more that we could do um, I also teach a class in homiletics okay. uh, at, at the seminary and one of the things that we talk about in the beginning as we're laying the foundation as it relates to our preaching I ask the question and, and I ask it in this class also in the beginning does life inform theology? Mm. Does theology inform life? Or is there a combination of both? Uh, I have always argued for leaning more toward life-informing theology. I believe that historically our approach to theological education has been rooted in the thinking that theology strictly informs life. Here's theology, here's how to live. Mm -hmm. When in reality, as I see reality, you know, there was life and then we understood how God relates to life, hence our understanding of theology, as a result of life itself. And and I'll give a couple of examples. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no idea 
what that says about God because I'm a city boy. But those to whom David shared those words understood God because they understood agrarian living. They understood what a shepherd does. They understood the nature of sheep. Therefore, they understood God because of their life experiences. Uh, I think also of the two versions of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, the one that everybody recites, and then the one in Deuteronomy, Mm. chapter 5, the one that gets no attention. Mm. It's interesting that in the fourth commandment, Mm. as as we call it, the fourth commandment, in the Deuteronomy version, um, it is stated, here's why you keep the seventh-day holy because you were slaves Mm -hmm. in Egypt. Now you have theology couched in the context of a real-life experience. Yes. We we tend to make theology very sterile, Mm. uh, very staid, but theology is rooted in real-life experiences. Um, you know, my, my son talks all the time, and he, he would not mind my saying this because he has said it a million times. Uh, he finds more theology in the hip-hop world mm-hmm. you know, than he finds yeah. uh, in a lot of sermons mm-hmm. that he hears because, as you can imagine what I'm about to say, he finds that rappers are rooted in reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The challenge for me, the challenge for others then is to say, what does my world look like? Yeah. Yeah. It's about more than exegeting the Bible Mm -hmm. so that I can preach. It's about exegeting my society. Yes. So that I can then take what I'm preaching and have it to relate. But not but but more than just the preaching. Any ministry that I do must become relevant to those who are walking down the street. Thanks so much for listening in. Let us know what you thought about this week's podcast in the comments section. Once again, we'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Willie Hucks, for his ministry and work. A reminder of today's recommended reading list include Rudy Mayer's book, Working with the Poor, Walter Rischenbusch, Christianity and the Social Crisis in the 21st Century, and Ronald Sider's book, Good News and Good Works. Stay tuned for next week as we continue these conversations, and thanks again to the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at AdventNext.